You're listening to episode 75 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this week, finally, baseball is back. Somewhere, at least. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in for another week of Cardinals baseball podcasts without Cardinals baseball. Now, we did actually skip last week because there really wasn't much to say. We'd sort of run the gamut of random things to talk about and decided to just give it a little bit of a breather for you and for us. But this week we are back just like baseball is, kind of at least in Korea, and for everyone willing to spend most of the night watching one game a day on ESPN. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I am Tara, normally joined by my co-pilot on this show, Alex Crisofoli. He is not with me this week, though. So at least for this first part of the show, I am flying solo, which is fine because I have a great interview with Xavier Scruggs, who formerly played in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. That's coming up here in just a bit. But because it has become tradition on this show, I have to at least start with a random thing I've learned in quarantine. And this thing for me this week, well, I kind of have two. One is more of a question for you the audience, the fans of this show. The second one is a suggestion for you, the fans of this show. So we'll start with that, actually. A couple of weeks ago, I said something on Twitter about how I wanted to make chocolate chip cookies, but I didn't want to eat them all myself. And then I remembered the trick that I've used in the past. So I just want to pass it on to you because it's my favorite thing in the world now. And that is to make all the cookie dough, roll it into balls, put them in the freezer. And then it's like that pre-made cookie dough that you can just cut off a chunk of and put it in the oven, except it tastes way better. And it's probably way cheaper too. So roll up those little little dough balls, keep them in the freezer, pull out one or two or four, (laughs) however many you want to eat at a time. And then you have cookies for a week or two days, however long it takes you to go through an entire batch of cookie dough. The point is, make your cookie dough ahead of time, freeze it, then you can eat it incrementally and always have fresh out of the oven, melty, gooey chocolate chip cookies. That is my suggestion for you. My question for you is related to my dog, Louie, who you've probably all seen in pictures and videos and heard me talk about in various places on the internet. We have had this routine for the last seven weeks where we take a nice little walk around our neighborhood. We've got a a great little circle. It's more like, I guess, more like a rectangle if we want to (laughs) be geometrically accurate. But it's a nice little little walk and we go around the block and it's just the right amount of, of time and of exercise. In the last two weeks, my dog has decided that he hates going for walks outside of our tiny little yard, which is fine on days like today when it's raining and I also don't want to go for a long walk, but it's taking away the time of the day that I was getting so much fresh air and and just a nice dose of sunshine when it was nice outside. Also, I just feel like he really needs to be exercising more than he is. So my question is twofold. Is my dog getting lazier than me during quarantine? And how do I convince my dog that he actually likes taking walks again? Let me know if you have a suggestion 
for me on that front. But back to baseball, which is why you're all here. There was sort of news this week, or at least there was for a few moments. There were dates of when baseball was going to return. And then there weren't. There were a few folks on Twitter on Monday that started sharing the idea that Major League Baseball had decided on a July 1st start date where teams would play in their home stadiums as normal, assuming that means with a visiting team as well. But you get the point. It sounds like that information at this point is a real rumor, as in that's really being discussed, but that it's anything but confirmed at this point, which makes sense considering the ongoing state of the world right now. Now, I don't really have any sort of hot take on this because the reality is the safety of the people necessary to make this happen, the players, the staff, etc., still has to be the priority, as we've been saying all along. If it's not safe to play baseball, they shouldn't be playing baseball. So until that part is to some extent settled, no dates should be in stone. I mean, everybody wants to be the first to break a story. I get it. But for now, this stuff is nothing more than conjecture, just like the fate of the minor league season. And that just means we're still, once again, sitting here waiting for the world to figure itself out before baseball can follow suit. And that, friends, is all on the MLB front, but not on the baseball front. Like I said, real-life baseball started this week in Korea, and at the 11th hour, it seems, ESPN came to an agreement with the KBO to air one game a day, and suddenly there were Korean baseball fans everywhere. Now, I will admit, I did not stay up overnight to watch the opening day game. I know, I know, I'm a terrible baseball fan. But I am curious to see how fans in the States will react to baseball overseas. I mean, it's already created a bit of a stir with highlights of bat flips that will make the purists among us uh, flip tables, maybe. But you know how I feel. I love a good bat flip. I love players with passion. And I love seeing guys that we know and love from their affiliated baseball days find a new chapter for their own baseball journey. And that brings me to our guest this week. Xavier Scruggs was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the 19th round of the 2008 draft, and he made his major league debut in 2014. He became a free agent at the end of the 2015 season when he signed with the Miami Marlins. There, he split time in the 2016 season between AAA and the big leagues before he made the big decision to move to Korea to play for the NC Dinos in 2017 and 2018. And if that's not enough to exhaust you just listening, he also played in Mexico last season, and now he's growing a great podcast and a brand called Extraordinary Athletes, and you've probably seen a few of the recent episodes with some pretty well-known Cardinals players and coaches. That is quite a resume, which really just means he has a ton of cool experiences to share. So without further ado, here is my chat with Xavier Scruggs. Xavier, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Now, the first question I'm going to ask you in the past has seemed like a bit of a brush off first question. Now it seems a little more serious, but how are you these days? How are things? I'm doing good. Um, luckily, everybody's healthy over here with my family. Um, obviously, we've been pretty much stuck inside for a while, but being in in Tampa, Florida, everybody's uh, everybody's a little relaxed about the situation now. And things started open up today, so um, luckily, we're kind of able to to get outside a little bit and do some things. <laughs> Yeah, it makes a big difference, you know, when you've been inside for six or seven weeks, when you can just kind of get a breath of fresh air and, and feel a little bit normal for a minute or two, at least. Definitely. And I have two kids under two years old, so it's good to just get them outside. And um, otherwise, they just feel like they're trapped in a cage in here. 
And I'm sure you feel just as trapped when, when you and, and your wife are trying to keep them entertained all the time. Normally on this show, Alex, my co-host, he's got some young kids as well. And I live, well, alone with my dog. And so we trade stories of how I feel desperately alone and he's desperate <laughs> for some alone time. So we just swap our uh, our versions of uh, misery in in some moments of this. But, you know, everybody's finding a, a silver lining and, and finding things to spend their time on and we're all just trying to make the best of it, right? Definitely. That's uh, that's all we can really do is make the best of this time and, and you know, use the time wisely while we can, use it to, to enjoy family time, um, you know, and, and just try to, like you said, make the best of it. Well, one thing that you have been doing, or it seems like you have been doing, is staying busy with a a bit of a new project with this podcast that you're doing, Extraordinary Athletes, which if anybody listening to this has not listened, you'll see some familiar names as far as Cardinals players go. Our own Colton Wong being one of those guys who I spend a lot of time talking about because I think he's very underrated in the world of baseball, but nonetheless, a great podcast to listen to, some really cool conversations where did this podcast idea come from? We'll talk more about the baseball stuff in a minute, but this is what's going on right now. It's sort of keeping you busy on that on that front. So where did this podcast come from for you? Yeah, the Extraordinary Athletes podcast has been an, an extremely fun project. Um, it kind of came a little bit out of nowhere, but um, I've always been excited to learn about other people's stories and other people's journeys and ultimately what makes them strong mentally. Um and, and a lot of these guys that I, I've played alongside, I've had an opportunity to interview, such as Colton Wong, Tommy Pham, Randall Grichuk, um, and the list can go on. But um, I've seen some of the ways that these guys go about their business, the, the way that they go about their craft. And I feel like there's always something that people can kind of gravitate to. Um, it's an opportunity for people to understand what makes those guys be so successful at their sport. And not only just people playing the sport, but also people that are just in the industry in general. I have strength and conditioning coaches. I have coaches. Um, I have trainers. So, you know, it's it's just an opportunity for people to kind of get an inside look on, you know, people in the industry's journey. And I feel like an, an opportunity for people to learn from their experiences as well. I feel like it's a really interesting time in baseball because so many people are so much more, I don't know if it's willing or interested in telling those stories and in kind of letting people in to see who they are and how they got to where they are. And that's, uh, as you mentioned, everyone from players to to coaches, to trainers, to people who are on, on my side of things and holding the microphones a lot of those times. It's a really interesting time to be a, a baseball fan and and watch as the world of baseball kind of opens up and people go, oh, yeah, these these players are really interesting humans, not just great athletes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a time when athletes in general get an opportunity to, you know, open up and do some things that they wouldn't normally be probably doing during the season. You know, you obviously media is, is something that is is strenuous on an athlete at, at some times. Um, so when you have to focus on playing your sport and trying to do the media side of things and, and you know, you have family stuff going on outside of the game, sometimes it can seem like a lot. But now, obviously, it's a time when, you know, there's not too much going on. There's not you can't even really be on the field with your team. So I think it's definitely an opportunity where athletes can 
can open up and, and really talk about what's going on and, and give people an opportunity to to kind of see what they're doing on the on a day to day basis, um, and I've kind of seen that myself. Just in, um, I've I've gotten some guys to open up that normally aren't really media guys at all, and I don't call myself a, a media person, but um, just the opportunity to to open up and listen to a Jason Hayward story. Um, he's going to be somebody that's not going to be too open to the media g- generally, but if you get an opportunity to have a relationship with somebody that you've played with like that, or even somebody that you just know in general, um, an opportunity for them to tell their story in a different light, I think, uh, is, is just great for the audience in general. Yeah. And I'm sure that it helps with some of the shared experiences that you have had with those guys. And like I said, I've, I've enjoyed tremendously those conversations. Really interesting to hear from a number of those guys, Let's talk about your story, though, as we go along here. Of course, we'll talk about some of your time in the Cardinals organization, your time playing overseas. But let's go way back to begin all of this. I want to know when baseball became a thing that you loved. When did you fall in love with the game? Yeah, I fell in love with the game at a a young age. Um, I wasn't always a baseball player. Um, I, I would consider myself playing baseball, but I wasn't really a baseball <laughs> player um, until probably about the age of 11. I, I, I forget who was playing, but I want to say it was the Yankees and, and the Padres in the World Series. And um, I grew up in San Diego, so the Padres was, was my team. Um, Love Tony Gwynn. Um, but I think I had the opportunity to watch the World Series. And of course, the Yankees won. And, and I see these grown men like jumping on each other and crying with each other. And, and I'm like, what is all this emotion? Like, I I don't see grown men usually showing this emotion. Mm, So to, to me, it was an opportunity to say, Hey, this is a, this is a sport that, that kind of brings out serious emotion from the athletes. And that was something I always kind of gravitated to after that point. It was like, I want to be a part of something like that. I want to win a World Series. I want to win a championship. So that was something that kind of gravitated me toward the the sport of baseball. And then just knowing that the sport was was something that really took a lot of your mental capacity and really took for you to really focus in. Um, that was something that I was excited about too. I know a lot of people consider the game might be boring um, or a little slow for them, but that was what I enjoyed is like the process of the game. You have nine innings to try to really outscore your opponent Um and it can be a, a short game. It can be a long game, but it's all a process. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I was just telling somebody yesterday that the thing that is so interesting to me about baseball is that even in the moments where it seems like nothing's happening, it could be the very next pitch that changes the entire dynamic of the game. So you have to be prepared for all of the, all of those different scenarios. And yeah, I mean, it's it moves a little slower overall, but there's always something happening. There's always a bit of a mind game going on somewhere on the field, which keeps it interesting if, if you, uh, you know, watch it in that light. My dad always says the same thing about, about golf that you just said about baseball, that you can play golf, but not be a golfer. (laughs) So completely understand, completely understand that comparison. Uh, You mentioned the emotion of the game. I always like to ask people about their, their draft experience, right? Because that's when this changes a little bit from a thing that you're, you're chasing from maybe the outside looking in to where it becomes, uh, you know, a potential career that you're invested in. 
What do you remember even all these years later from that experience, getting the chance to to get that phone call, know that you were going to be playing baseball professionally? Yeah, it was uh, it's something that I'll never forget. Um, I remember I was at, at the home at home kind of looking at the names go down the computer, um, seeing some of the guys that I was familiar with, hoping that I would fall somewhere within uh, seeing some of my friends get drafted. Um, but ultimately, it was a time when I, I, I got tired of just looking at the computer for a while. And I said, you know what, I got to go do something. So um, I, I did what I ultimately love to do, just go work out. Um, I went to the gym and then ultimately got a call from from the Cardinals um, in the 19th round. And and then it was kind of like a, a moment of relief. It was like, finally, I can call myself a professional. Um, I, I've worked so hard for, for one thing, and, and I've known for a while that this is what I've wanted to do. Um, and I knew for a long time um, while I was in the college experience for three years that I had been drafted out of high school by the Mariners, so I knew I had an opportunity to play at the next level. Um, so I gave myself three years at UNLV Las Vegas, and and that was the goal. It was like, obviously, in Las Vegas, you can get so sidetracked, but it, my goal was was so focused on being a professional, and um, and I had worked so hard for that. So once it, that call happened, it was almost like a moment of relief. And then realizing that that's when the real work begins. Um, that's when, you know, when you have to go to spring training and you see 200 other dudes and you're fighting for these jobs. So it's, it's the, it's the real thing. It's like, this is a real job right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you were drafted by the Cardinals in 2008 and man, the next three or four years, that was a kind of a golden era for the Cardinals as far as minor league talent that translated to the major leagues. Eventually you played with a, a heck of a group of guys in the next couple of years. You mentioned a couple of them, Tommy Pham, uh, Colton Wong, but that list continues at Matt Carpenter, uh, Randall Gritchick, Stephen Piscotty, Tony Cruz, um, th- there are a bunch of pitchers on that list as well in that time. Joe Kelly, Shelby Miller, Carlos Martinez, Trevor Rosenthal. Man, you talk about competitive drive and and sort of that competition between teammates that helps the development process. But did you feel that at the time that this was helping you all the while get better at what you do? Or was there ever a moment in that where you were like, there are just, there are just too many guys. How, how does someone get the attention from the people that you need to in this game when, when there are so many players that, you know, have like yourself made that leap to the big leagues at some point and are so good at what they do? No, first of all, I think that's a great question. Um, the, all the guys that I played with that you mentioned, um, I think we all kind of recognized it was something special at the time um, just because of the talent. Um, we were we were so far ahead of all the other guys that we were playing against. And you could just you could just sense it. Um, I remember there was a point when um, Michael Walker had come up to the double A team. We won the championship with the, almost every guy in the lineup was a was a, ultimately ended up being a big leaguer. But um, I remember specifically he came up from straight out of college, basically, and and was yeah. mowing guys down left and right. So you you realize that something was really special when you get guys walking on the field and if straight out of college making it look super easy. Um Ultimately, he ended up winning a double A championship with with Mike Schilt being the the manager. But you recognize that guys push each other at that level. Um, you got you recognize that guys were 
guys were looking out for one another. They were always trying to compete with one another to make each other better. Um, you got guys like Greg Garcia and Colton Wong who played together at University of Hawaii. Um, so you already have these types of relationships um, to where guys are just trying to build each other up. It wasn't a mentality of like, I'm better than you. I need to get the call up to AAA or the big leagues before you. It was almost like all these guys that you just mentioned and, and more, they were all loving each other and pushing for one another. Mm. Um, so the the dynamic was just different. And and it's almost a testament to the Cardinals and the way that they draft because they I think they recognize personality and the relationships that that they're able to build with with teammates. I was going to ask you about Mike Schilt, and I think we're seeing some of what you just described at the major league level now, even under Mike Schilt, and and just sort of that dynamic that he seems to create wherever he goes. Is that what your experience was as far as playing for a guy like Mike Schilt and the way that he went about his business? Absolutely, 100%. Um it was almost like uh, it was almost like it was too good to be true. Like I had never played for a, a manager that really um, cared and loved for his players like that. Um, I, I've played for some great managers, um, and that's not to downplay any of the managers that I've had. It was just he kind of had a different way of going about things that really uh, made you feel super comfortable, made you feel like a team player, made you feel always involved. He was always coaching somebody up. And the funny thing is, he didn't really, I believe he didn't really play pro ball himself. Um, So it was almost like, I mean, me and some of the guys used to just say like, man, like if he played pro ball, he could probably be a a major league manager Um, at the time. You know, we didn't think that he would even have the opportunity just because, you know, of his background. But Mm -hmm. um, just seeing what he's done has is, is been super cool. And, and it's, it's something that, you know, he's always had in him. Um, and, and that's, and that's another thing is just the relationships that he builds with his players. Um, it's so beyond surface level. Um, it's easy as a, as a player and as a manager, I can tell that, that uh, to keep the relationships really surface level um, because obviously there's a business side of things. Um, a lot of the managers are getting, you know, certain calls from from up top over their heads. So uh, there's always a business aspect to it. But if you're able to build a strong relationship um, with your players and uh, recognize that they're human beings and and they're going to fail and 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 you learn how to build them up after failure, I think that that creates a an, an environment of of just success all around. Um, and you're not just going to find yourself winning games. You're going to find yourself um, competing at a high level every night. Um, and, and you're going to see yourself looking forward to a, a championship. I don't know that there's any better example of that with Mike Schilt than Colton Wong. And I know he talked about that a little bit when you had him on your podcast as well. Just how much that relationship and the trust that Mike Schilt put in him and the way that he almost went out of his way to say, look, you're my guy and I trust you. How much that made a difference in his ability to even a little bit get out of his own way and and just do what he does so well, which is easily enough to be one of the best uh, second basemen in the league, which was really cool to watch, to see that develop. And, and you could see that relationship with Mike Schilt being really at the root of that for for Colton Wong. So it's it's cool to hear that that's 
the way he is with everyone <laughs> and that it does uh, seem to make a lasting difference. You know, minor league baseball is is such a headline topic right now, in part because there's no current baseball <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> right. um, but there's been a lot going on, a lot of different stories, a lot of different opinions. And it's something that we've talked about a lot on this show. And I think the good part of all of that is that a lot of people, maybe for the first time, are, are kind of getting an idea of what the grind is really like for minor league players. And I've said so many times, man, I, I have so much respect and and I almost get a little defensive of minor league players because of how much they have to put into this to get to where they're trying to go. You know, I'm curious, as someone who, who grew up, you know, just loving this game and wanting a chance to be a pro, how hard is it to keep your focus on the game and on your passion for the game when it does become a, biz- a, a business, right? Because that business side of this can get really complicated and can get a little stressful. How hard is it to really kind of pull yourself back in and, and focus on the game when some of that's going on around you? Right. No, that's, um, that's, I think that's what ultimately separates the, the the best professionals from just the average ones. Um, you have to realize that, and, and from an early age, like your maturity has to, you have to mature as quick as possible because um, if you let the business side interfere interfere with the way you play the game, then um, it's gonna it's gonna be something that's gonna be bothering you for a long time. Um, there's always gonna be the ups and downs in the business side, but you can't let that affect um, the way you play on the field. So, um, but that being said, it's, it's something that you have to learn to navigate. That's, I think that that's something that um, you lean on mentors for. That's uh, something you lean on other teammates, people that have been there, um, coaches. Uh, I kind of learned at a early, at an early spot in my career, in my professional career that, you have to uh, you have to really lean on some of these uh, coaches that have been there and these coaches that are, are familiar with the minor league lifestyle because um, it can be really draining and especially when you're not making much money at all. So um, you learn kind of like the how to navigate that through the minor league side, and then once you get to the big leagues, that's a whole nother level. Um, you're talking about some serious dollars, so. Um, and you're talking about, you know, people's livelihoods, um, putting putting food on the table for for families. So um, I think it's important to to remember um, why you began, though. I think that if if you remember why you began playing the game and you remember the passion that you have from the beginning, the energy, um, you know, ultimately you'll play the game for the right reason. And then you it, it'll be easier to navigate um, not letting the business side affect uh, the way you go about it. But that being said too, is like these young minor leaguers, um, it's, it's tough because you know, you're not getting paid much. Um, and all you're really trying to do is follow a dream, but you have to be realistic about things. Um, you know, I was one of those guys that took, it took seven years to get to the big leagues. Like there's, there's players that aren't going to let themselves play seven years before they get to the big (laughs) leagues. Um, just because ultimately they're they're willing to move on and make some money, which I totally understand. Um, so that's that's tough. Everybody's situation is different, um, but as a player, you have to definitely learn to navigate that. And there's no one way to do it. Um, you you just got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, it's a it is a challenge that I, I don't think 
anyone quite knows how to handle until they're in it. Uh, as you mentioned, you did have that chance to play at the big league level. You played with the Cardinals. You played uh, in Miami as well. We'll circle back to that in a minute, but I do want to talk about playing in Korea because that's suddenly relevant as everyone is getting a chance to watch baseball in Korea a little bit while we're waiting on what's going to happen with the major league baseball season this year. So you, you had that experience at the major league level. Then you took a little bit of a different turn and decided to go play overseas. How did you navigate that transition? I mean, was it something you had considered in those seven years where you were waiting to get that chance to play at the big league level? Was it an easy decision to go play in Korea at that point? Or was, was there a process there for you to figure that out? I'll be completely honest with you. I had no idea that there was baseball in Korea. <laughs> uh, I was not familiar with the, the country whatsoever. I doubt you're the only one. <laughs> I was kind of like my agent called me. He's like, hey, maybe we should think about Korea. And I was like, I'm sorry, who, where? <laughs> and um, like we had talked about Japan because um, ultimately, like if you have a player that's kind of been an up and down AAA big league type guy, they're looking for those types of players um, and, and they excel overseas. So I was thinking about, hey, maybe there's an opportunity in Japan. But when he called me and said, hey, the NC Dinos of South Korea want you, um, they want a decision within three days. I was kind of like, whoa, what that, first of all, I'm, I'm supposed <laughs> to move me and my fiance at the time. It was in my wife. Now she was my fiance at the time. I was supposed to tell her we're going to move to South Korea. And I, I have a couple of days to make this decision. Um, so ultimately, no I, pressure. yeah, ultimately, <laughs> because, they, because they, they have their list, you know, if you're at the right. top of their list, they got to go down to the next guy if you're not willing to do it. So, um, you know, I, I ultimately said no at first. And then um, like a few weeks went went down, went uh, went by and I, I said to myself, you know what, this might be an opportunity for us to, to have an experience that that is for a lifetime. You know, we'll never we'll we'll never say we we got to play baseball in Korea. This could be a cool little thing. Um, so after I told my wife that I was thinking about committing to doing it, if the team still allowed me to. Um, she basically slapped my face and, and started crying and was like, I'm not going to Korea. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, you know what, this might be an opportunity for us to, to get a head start on some things financially too. And yeah. then also me get an opportunity to come back and, uh, after performing well over there. So, um, she looked at, um, the, the team had had Eric Thames, um, had, he had just re mm. came back and signed with the Brewers, um, so we looked at it as a situation where like, Hey, this is somebody that was just in the same position that I was in or that I'm in now. And maybe I can make the same type of steps and come back. So, um, basically we sat down, prayed about it and, and we called the dinos back and, and we said, we want, we want to, we want to go if we can still. And they said, we'll make it happen. Um, so it was just the beginning of, of a totally different change for us. And, and we were kind of excited about it after learning more about it. Um, obviously during that time when I was kind of unsure about it, I, I tried to like research more about the team and find out more about them. And I found out about Eric Thames playing for them. And, um, so things started adding up and it started making sense. And, and I said, you know what, let's give it a chance. I imagine even at that point, 
picking up your life and moving to Korea to play in a completely different league where, you know, the game is still baseball, but there it, it's certainly a different experience. I mentioned it felt a little bit like diving into the deep end, not totally sure if you were going to sink or swim. A hundred percent. I think the toughest thing is the toughest thing for those players over there is, and they'll all tell you is it's not necessarily the baseball. It's more just the, the lifestyle um, mm. you're, you're entering in a totally different um, cultural experience, which obviously you're excited about, but ultimately like the, uh, the, like, for example, a tough thing is like, you're not going to be able to read anything over there. Um, yeah. Their, their characters are totally different. So like, if you go to the Dominican or you go to Venezuela or you go to Mexico, they still have the same type of alphabet. Um, but if you go over to Asia, you're, you can't read anything. Um, so you have to lean on your translator almost 24 seven, um, to be able to order food, to be able to, um, you know, tell you what somebody's saying, to be able to read you something. Um, you ultimately don't know if a building is a, a bookstore or if it's a restaurant, um, just cause you can't read the character. So it's, it's something that is so much tougher actually outside of the, outside of the game that the baseball part was obviously the part where you felt most comfortable. So yeah. that was kind of the that was kind of the initial experience over there. But but once you get your feet wet, you start to, to start to figure things out. And and then it just becomes, um, you know, just I wouldn't say just like a normal, <laughs> a normal experience, but <laughs> it, it starts to become a little more comfortable. Yeah, it doesn't seem quite like baseball games in Korea are, are what most fans in the States would consider normal. There's a little bit more going on there. How would you describe for someone who maybe is just getting, maybe like you is like, wait, <laughs> they play baseball in Korea. Yeah. How would you describe what it's like to experience that and, and how people take in this game in Korea? Well, you definitely take talking about taking it in um, the fan experience is, is, is like a football game here on steroids. Um, <laughs> you have cheerleaders in the stands. You have dances for each of the players, songs for each of the players as they come out to bat. Um, and and all the all the crowd knows the dances. They're doing the dances. They're doing the cheer songs. Um, so the, the atmosphere is just electric. Um, you don't have people really on their phones during the game. They're really locked in on the game, no matter if the score is 10, 10 to nothing. And your team's losing with no runs. You're still getting um, you're still getting the cheer songs. You're still getting the dances. Everybody's still excited. Um, so it's just a totally different atmosphere, um, just an atmosphere level of, of pure joy and excitement. And um, it's, it's just so much fun. And the bat flips, right? That's what everyone is suddenly recognizing <laughs> about international baseball is that, well, these guys actually, they have a lot of fun and, and there's a lot of passion in this game. <laughs> yeah, there's that, that's the thing, too, is like there's so much respect over there with their culture, with the Korean culture. Respect is a number one factor. Mm, um, yeah. So you can understand that you can play the game, have the bat flips, have the fun and still have a big respect factor in the game. Um and that's what I enjoyed most about it is like everybody respected one another. Um, you know, if a guy gets hit, uh, if a pitcher hits another guy, like they're usually going to bow to that guy and give them a little um, uh, tip of their cap just to show, hey, respect. Like I didn't mean to do that. Um, obviously, 
it, that takes it to a whole nother level. But I'm just trying to give you an example of how important respect for one another is over there. And that's what me and my, my wife enjoyed most is um, everybody gave us our respect. Everybody respected us as human beings. Um, you know, over there as a baseball player, especially a foreigner, you're like a, a rock star. Um, so it was hard for me actually to go out to eat and do certain things because fans are always asking for autographs. But at the same time, they respected you. They understood that you you had a family. They understood that, um, you know, that you're in a in a different area than you're used to being. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the fan love. It was it was amazing. It, it, I mean, we were so comfortable. The second year I went back there, we had our firstborn son out there. Um, mm-hmm. So that that just shows you how much we we enjoyed our time out there. I'm sure that made a world of difference when you were able to be comfortable in the in the surroundings, not just in the the game that you were playing as well. When you when you look at the game itself in that league in the KBO, what are the the biggest differences or were there notable differences going from playing at the major league level to playing in this other league? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's definitely a question that is um that I get often and and especially players that are looking to to go over there, they're yeah. always wondering what's the difference. Um ultimately I would say the the obviously the MLB level is just there's nothing that can really compare to it. You're getting the best of the best in the whole world. Um, the good thing about Korea is you're getting you're getting some great athletes playing the the, the game because their best athletes are all playing baseball. Um, baseball is their number one sport over there. Um, so you're going to get the best athletes. Um, all, defensively, um, I feel like that's where they're – they're 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 not as strong. Um, ultimately, I feel like at some at some points they're they're almost like scared to make a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a point where you you notice that they're usually clean defensively, but I don't think they they'll take the same um, confidence trying to make a, a diving play or trying to make a diving stop. Yeah. Um, so I feel like in that sense. Uh, the defense is is kind of down there. The pitching over there has has definitely gotten better every year, especially with um, top pitchers, uh, you know, major league caliber pitchers coming over and playing in Korea. Um, and and so that I mean, two out of the five starters are going to be American MLB level over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it's it's definitely cool to see the uh, the level of play increasing every year over there. Um, you have hitters, obviously, Korean hitters that have been um, to the major leagues going back to Korea. And then you have Korean major league hitters coming over to to uh, to America, MLB now. And same with pitchers. Um, so it's you see the the level of play is definitely getting better over there and to where some of them are major league caliber. And now all of a sudden, fans in the States are going to get to see some of it, at least for now, until Major League Baseball comes back. I know you tweeted about it um, earlier today, but you and your wife documented a lot of your experience in Korea in a series on YouTube. People can go check that out if they want to see more of that. I know you also came back from there and played in Mexico. You're, as you mentioned, everyone's not everyone's sort of in the same boat as far as hoping to play this year, (laughs) trying to figure out what that looks like. But what, what is your plan now? I mean, you've got the podcast, you've got 
the Extraordinary Athletes brand that you're building so that's doing a lot of things for young athletes. But what do you hope the future looks like for Xavier Scruggs, the, the ball player, the <laughs> spokesperson, the family man, the podcaster, all of those things rolled into what? Yeah, ultimately, I would love to, to get on back on the field. Um, I feel like I still have a lot to offer a team, um, whether that be uh, a major league team here or with a major league organization. That would be my ultimate goal. Um, but I know I have a lot to offer no matter what. Um, even if that's not it, even if there's no baseball, God, God, God forbid there's no baseball. But um, yeah, I, I, I have extraordinary athletes um, brand that is really making some some strides. And, and I think it's going to be an off an awesome opportunity for uh, amateur athletes, even professional athletes to to learn um, from the best. Um, whether that be via webinars and, and seminars, motivational speaking, um, virtual content. Um, I think we're putting together some good things. And I have a team of people that are really helping me and, and have done a great job. Um, so I, I think that people should definitely be on the lookout for Extraordinary Athletes. Um, and you can follow us on Extraordinary underscore Athletes. That's Extraordinary with the X, no E. Um, and then XOathletes.com. Just be on the lookout because we have some serious things coming. Um, and it's it's going to change uh, the dynamic of, of how we view uh, the mental side of, of, of our sports. That's cool. Very cool stuff. Um, I, this podcast will get really strange if there's no baseball. So yes, we do hope <laughs> there is baseball at some point. This is you one might, of two. You might have to start learning Korean. I, uh, I might have to. I'll have to dive into that. I'll be the one diving in the deep end <laughs> if we uh, if we end up with that. The last thing I want to do, I mentioned we'd circle back to your your MLB experience in a moment. We always end this show with sort of a, a fun fact segment. We call it the chirp of the week. And typically my co-host Alex does it because he's great at, you know, going into a play index somewhere and finding some little gem from Cardinals history. But since he's not here and you are instead, I thought we'd just go back to your major league debut game with the Cardinals in 2014 and uh, and revisit that a bit. See what you remember from it. I have the world's worst memory, so I had to look up all of these details. But it was Cardinals versus Brewers in Milwaukee. The Cardinals going for their sixth sixth straight win, I believe, <laughs> going down the stretch. Michael Waka was the starter for the Cardinals. I believe it was Willie Peralta for the Brewers. Yeah. And let's just talk about the first inning real quick because that leads up to your first at bat. Matt Carpenter led off the game with a single. And then it was a singles parade. John Jay, Matt Holliday, Yadier Molina ended up meaning you got your first at bat in the first inning of that game. What do you remember about that? Uh, I just remember, you know, not really feeling like I was inside my body. Um, <laughs> I felt like I was watching from the stands. <laughs> if, if, if anybody could kind of understand that, yeah. it was just like an out-of-body out experience. I, I remember being... Um, almost just super tired because I couldn't sleep the the night before, just knowing that um, I had an early flight to to Milwaukee and and I was getting an opportunity to play in the show. Um, I remember Matheny coming up to me before the uh, before the 
but I was kind of one of the first ones to get to the clubhouse. He came up to me and, and was like, Hey, uh, you're in there. And I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Did he just, he kind of walked away after that. I was like, did he just say <laughs> I was in the lineup or did he say I was, I was in the locker room. I, I was unsure as to, I was unsure. <laughs> a little as, vague. Yeah. I was <laughs> unsure as to what exactly was going on. Um, but, you know, just ultimately excited to have the opportunity. Um, my brother lived in Chicago at the time. He came down. My wife was there. Um, it was just an amazing experience. I, I couldn't even tell you what I did the first at bat, maybe popped up or something or grounded out. But um, I just remember uh, having an opportunity to play um, at the highest level was was just breathtaking. Um, I remember walking out. um into the dugout for the first time and, and kind of looking around and, and just thinking, this is obviously the biggest stadium that I've ever played in. And I kind of just tried to soak it in and, and try to realize like, this is what you've worked hard for. This is what you're, you know, you've dedicated most of your life to. This is uh, why all the people behind you have been so supportive. Like you're getting to live out your dream. Like most people who live life, they, they don't get to say that they had their dream lived out, you know, so yeah. to, to even have the opportunity to reach a reach your goal and reach your dream. Um, it was just an opportunity for me to kind of just soak it in. And and I was just happy to, to be there. Do you remember what happened in your second at bat? <laughs> I, I, th- I think my second at bat, I got hit, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Got hit by a pitch. Colton Wong singled ahead of you. You got hit by a pitch. And then I think uh, Peter Borges grounded out or popped out or something. But then evidently in reading the recap, because I didn't remember this at all, he had a, a game-saving catch in the eighth inning up against the wall in center field. Do you yeah. remember anything? Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I do remember that. I think I made, I, I think I, I, if I remember correctly, I had made an error sometime in the game. And I remember thinking, man, they're about to send me, they're going to send me out of here <laughs> because I'm already making an error in the first game of, the, of, the, of, of my major league career. I'm done. Um, so I just remember him making, I do remember him making a great play. I'm like, okay, we, we're going to win the game. So hopefully all is lost in memory and, and we can just move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals did end up going on to win that game 3-2, pushed them to, I think, 14 games over 500 at that point in the season. It was a, a strong year for that Cardinals team. Didn't end so well in the postseason, but nonetheless, we don't have to talk about that part. Uh, <laughs> but that was that was the debut. That was the moment that it all sort of came together for you. So thought it'd be fun to relive that. And that is the chirp of the week this go around. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This is, has been a lot of fun tonight. No, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, best of luck to you and, and it's been fun watching your journey as well and, and cool seeing what you're doing. Um, so, um, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. For those of you who don't know, I started covering baseball professionally the year that Xavier played for the Quad Cities River Bandits. So we've sort of been on this journey for the same amount of time. We've been on our, <laughs> we've been on our grind. We've been grinding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now we're we're both in this weird void where there's not baseball happening. Don't quite know what to do with it, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. That's that's how life is, right? You'll throw you curveballs randomly. It sure will. It sure will. Thank you so much again. And everybody can look for your stuff with extraordinary athletes and everything else you've got going on as we 
trying to navigate this this Korean baseball situation together. Don't forget to follow Xavier on Twitter and Instagram at Xavier underscore Scruggs. You can follow the podcast and the Extraordinary Athletes brand at Extraordinary underscore Athletes. That's, as he mentioned, Extraordinary without an E. And you can find all of the stuff that he's doing with amateur athletes at xoathletes.com. Tell him I sent you. Enjoy everything he's got going on. The conversations with fellow players and some athletes outside of the baseball world. They're all great, and you really should give it a listen. And guys, I think that is all for this week on Chirps. I'm Tara. For Alex, who will be back next week, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.